Hello and welcome to the Business Standard Morning Show. I am Ruchika Chitravanshi. It is 26th of February 2024 and here are the questions we will be answering today. Why does India want investment agenda kept out of WTO talks? Why are hybrid cars racing ahead of EVs? What are the five things that will be on market's radar this week? And what are economic sanctions? Trade ministers from over 100 countries are set to meet in Abu Dhabi for the 13th Ministerial Conference of the World Trade Organization. The three-day meeting beginning today is likely to be stormy as India will oppose adoption of a China-led proposal on investment facilitation. But why is India opposed to this initiative? And why does it want the investment agenda kept out of WTO? Kasturi Akhil speaks to experts for answers. The world is no more flat, as seen by Thomas Friedman about two decades ago. Amid the rise of protectionism, setting rules for global commerce has become tricky and full of challenges. And against this backdrop, trade ministers of over 100 countries are meeting on February 26. The three-day meeting will be eventful as India and some other countries will oppose some moves which they believe would dilute the core of World Trade Organization. One among them is the proposal to make investment facilitation a part of the formal WTO negotiations. India has strongly objected to efforts of pushing the proposal forward on the reasoning that WTO is a body to discuss trade and investment is not a trade issue. But countries with deep pockets like China, South Korea and the Gulf nations are likely to push for the inclusion of investment facilitation agenda in ministerial meet. In April 2017, 14 developing and least developed members had proposed an informal WTO dialogue on investment facilitation for development. Primarily mooted by China, the aim of this agreement was to facilitate global investment in the same way of global trade agreements. Proponents argue that investment facilitation would help in effective implementation of investment policies of the member countries, making it more efficient and transparent. 130 member countries, including China, South Korea, and the Gulf nations like the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar, are the major proponents of the move, which makes it a plurilateral agreement or joint statement initiative. The proposal will be binding for only the signatory members. Since India has opposed it, it won't be applicable to India. Among major countries, the US is sitting out of the agreement. Sri Lanka and Pakistan are also not a part of it. Experts argue matters that fall under the purview of the WTO essentially pertain to multilateral trade relations. Joint statement initiatives or plurilateral negotiations are initiated by a group of WTO members on certain issues without adhering to the rules on consensus decision-making of the multilateral body. India is fundamentally against plurilateral pacts on multilateral platforms such as the WTO. India's key contention has been that investment is not trade per se and if certain member countries actually want to negotiate the subject, they should do it outside the formal structure of the WTO. I am entirely in agreement because the systemic issue of the WTO being a multilateral consensus-based organization where even the poorest of the developing countries will have a say 
that will be uh, given the go-by if this is allowed. This is a systemic issue. It's not the content. India can live with the content any day of the agreement which is on the table at the moment, to my mind. But if we allow this to happen, then poorer developing countries and uh, even uh, the middle-income developing countries, most of them would be excluded from the decision-making process. And it would be or take it on a, or leave it. By, and we will go ahead. And uh, the plurilaterals will become the uh, way uh, for the future rather than the multilateral uh, system that we have been following so far. So it will mean a, an entire change in the the way the WTO functions and the way decisions are taken. An Indian delegation statement in a WTO meeting of the General Council held in December said the investment aspects of trade are already being dealt with by means of existing WTO agreements, namely GATS and TRIMS. The GATS treaty deals with the supply of services through commercial presence in the territory of any other member country. Its objective is to create a reliable and predictable system of international rules for trade and services. The TRIMS deals with certain trade-related investment measures that can restrict and distort trade. Experts believe that investment decisions should solely be the investors alone, in this case, the investing country, and no policy framework can promise the quality of the investment and the returns on the same. What drives investment? Of course, there are issues, things like market size, then uh, there are, uh, you know, the uh, availability of infrastructure, uh, what we call uh, um, uh, you know, the critical resources that uh, investors need uh, to maximize their profits. So, so these are the considerations on which investment flows from uh, you know the home country, which is an investing country, to a host country. Yeah. Uh, so, so for someone to come and say, look, you know, you know, we have just uh, change your investment uh, policies and make it more. Um, uh, transparent, and this is what the investment facilitation wants, make it more transparent, make, make it more predictable and, and stuff like that, and have a set of procedures. Now, that is not something that is palatable, I would say. Experts point out that WTO's Doha declaration at the Ministerial Conference of 2001 envisaged the negotiations on investments could only be on the basis of a decision taken by explicit consensus. So, if certain countries want the investment agreement to materialize, then they should propose to make amendments in the Doha declaration. But whether that will garner consensus from all 164 member countries is debatable. India will also oppose the European Union's proposed carbon tax on imports of steel, iron ore and cement at the upcoming WTO meeting. New Delhi believes that it would be akin to a new trade barrier. Moving on, Indian roads are witnessing a big change. More and more electric cars are rubbing shoulders with traditional ICE-run vehicles. But there is more to it than meets the eye. A recent report has indicated that hybrid cars seem to be outpacing EVs in the race towards the future. Despite the steeper price tag and limited variance, hybrids are gaining traction among consumers. But why? Will this trend sustain and will it push automakers to diverge from their EV goals? Abhijit Kumar finds out. 
A report by Deloitte's 2024 Global Automotive Consumer Study hasn't covered an interesting trend in India's car market. Despite the steep premium attached to hybrid vehicles, more and more car buyers are showing a preference for them over electric vehicles or EVs. Although the study was conducted on a sample size of only 1000 people in India, it does reflect the consumer preference. While 36% of the respondents showed preference for hybrids or plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, only 10% preferred for total battery electric vehicles. Remarkably, the preference for traditional vehicles came down 4 percentage points to 49% from 53% in 2023, signaling a shift away from petrol and diesel engines. This marks a notable 4 percentage point jump in favor of hybrids from 32% last year. The increase is double from pure electric vehicle preferences which increased to 10% from 8% in 2023. Particularly striking is the rapid ascent of hybrid cars in India's automotive landscape. Industry data reveals that hybrid vehicles have overtaken electric cars in sales for three consecutive months in 2023 despite the availability of a larger number of electric car models. As many as 25,200 electric cars were sold in the domestic market compared to 14,400 strong hybrid vehicles in the June quarter 2023. However, from September onwards, strong hybrids have started outselling EVs. as per industry data sales of strong hybrid vehicles totaled 24062 units between september to november 2023 compared to 21445 electric vehicles sold in the same period so why are hybrid cars winning over evs first one is which is a supply driven factor so i think if you see today the model availability if you see there are multiple models you know which have been launched under hybrid and more are yet to come So I think this obviously is you know giving more choice to the consumers. Point two is you know uh, if you see uh, on the other side you know uh, if you see proposition in terms of electric vehicles obviously they are going up there is no doubt about it but still if you see the range you know range is still not sufficient you know seeing the present charging infrastructure in the country at the end of the day if that is your main car or a single car then obviously you need something to travel intercity and ev may not be a perfect solution for now the deloitte report reveals that charging time the unavailability of charging infrastructure and concerns over battery safety continues to impede the adoption of battery electric vehicle as of january 23 2023 india had 5254 public charging stations for 20.65 lakh electric vehicles according to data shared in lok sabha by the minister of new and renewable energy rk singh and the vahan dashboard this means for every 393 electric vehicles in the country there's only one public charging station whereas the global average per public charger is between 6 to 20 evs Currently the high cost and limited variety are hindering the robust sales of hybrid vehicles in the price range of 10 to 30 lakh rupees there are only 5 models available with two each from Toyota and Maruti and one from Honda among the remaining 21 variants some exceed a crore of rupees in price so will this trend of hybrids outselling EVs sustain actually you know the different technologies <clears throat> hybrid is got different uses EV is got different uses the cost of a ev is comparatively higher than a ice vehicle and also uh, there's a lot of 
you know, uh, different aspects in the mind of a buyer, end of life of EV, battery changing, right? So, uh, you know, it is still not seen as a very settled technology. Surprisingly, at the high end, right, if you look at the luxury segment, there EVs are outstripping hybrids. hybrids. And what is going to happen is that because of the cafe standards coming in, right? And, uh, you know, the corporate average fuel efficiency standards also kicking in into India. Companies will start pushing different project, uh, products. Experts say India has been slower than other countries in developing charging infrastructure for EVs. Inadequate charging facilities make it difficult for consumers to rely on battery-powered vehicles without worrying about range anxiety or long wait times at charging points. The absence of an established market for used electric vehicles in India is also discouraging customers from purchasing new EVs. There aren't any affordable second-hand alternatives available if their first choice doesn't meet expectations. With longer range affordability, better performance and a second-hand market, hybrid vehicles have been a more accessible option for buyers. So what are the long-term growth prospects of hybrids in India versus the EVs? There is a transition from gasoline to EVs. So we have to bank on hybrids because the charging infrastructure is still not sufficient in the country. You can say that, you know, uh, hybrids will go for now. You know, obviously it will take the place and maybe by 2030, there may be more economical, frugal technologies which may come in hybrid, which will become, which will make them very cost effective also. There are different people with different needs. So obviously, you know, we may need vehicles like hybrids because you know there may be there is possible that there may not be charging infrastructure in extreme places where there is extreme cold you know for example or there may be uh, you know limitation you know in terms of electricity but at the end of the day you know we all know that why we should run with uh, our engine as well as a battery you know? specifically if you have batteries with uh, uh, you know a good range which may be available going forward as India transitions towards cleaner mobility solutions, it encounters several obstacles in the adoption of electric vehicles. Experts attribute the slow progress in charging, infrastructure development and the limited availability of batteries as key factors driving the popularity of hybrid vehicles. However, as the EV industry evolves, they anticipate a shift towards greater adoption of electric vehicles in the future. Let us now shift our focus to financial markets. While the markets consolidated with the benchmarks declining over 1% initially in February, they have rallied around 4% from their monthly lows since then. The Nifty, in fact, has registered a fresh lifetime high in the second half of the current month. In our next report, Rex Cano talks about five key factors that could impact the market trajectory this week. In spite of fair amount of volatility in February, the NSE Nifty has managed to scale multiple new highs with a fresh summit at 22,297 now. Meanwhile, the Sensex came close to its peak of 73,428 hit on 16th January as it touched a high of 73,414 on Friday. 
As we enter the last week of February, the monthly FNO expiry on Thursday will be one of the key factors to watch out for. The Nifty has gained 4% so far in February series and seems poised for more upside, suggests the FNO data. In the options data, 22,000, 21,900 put options have significant open interest outstanding and also FIs have covered some of the short positions recently. So 21,850 would be the crucial support which is even the 20 days exponential moving average. Only if that is broken, then we should expect any kind of decline towards 21,650. Whereas on the higher side, we are near to a breakout of this entire consolidation phase. A sustained move about 22,200 should take the Nifty higher towards 22,500 in the near term. Secondly, global queues will continue to sway the market. Apart from India's Nifty, the US-based Dow Jones and S&P 500 trade at record highs bolstered by NVIDIA's results. Europe's S-Stocks 602 hit new lifetime high and closer home, Japan's Nikkei registered a fresh peak after a gap of 34 years. How the FIIs position themselves in this extended trading week will be the third factor one needs to watch out for. While the overall mood remains upbeat, experts caution that sustained FII selling or any unforeseen adverse event could trigger a market correction. The domestic investors, the DIIs, HNIs and retail investors are calling the shots in the market now. Point of um, selling by FIIs, FIIs certainly will sell when the US uh, bond yields goes above 4%. Now the US 10-year bond yield is quoting at around 4.3%. So it is quite rational for them to sell. One important factor in the market now is, we know bull markets have a remarkable ability to climb all walls of worries. It has been climbing all walls of worries, whether it has been the Ukraine war or the Palestine-Gaza conflict or the issues in the Red Sea. Market is ignoring all this. These are some unexpected developments. Always when the valuations are high, some presently unknown factors can pull the market down. At the macro level, GDP numbers both in the US and India will be in focus. Analysts expect India's GDP to grow at 7.3% in the December quarter. That apart, five IPOs, three mainline and two SMEs will open for subscription this week. Bharat Highways is the largest of the lot as the company plans to raise up to 2,500 crore rupees. That said, do remember, this is an extended trading week with BSE and SE open on Saturday, March 2nd, in order to test its disaster recovery preparedness. Trading will be in two sessions on Saturday from 9.15 to 10 a.m., followed by 11.30 to half past noon. He's making plans for an early retirement. Business Standard. Meanwhile, the United States has announced to impose another round of sanctions on Russia as the world marks the second anniversary of the Russia-Ukraine war. But ever wondered what economic sanctions are and how do they work? Abhijit Kumar decodes. As per conventional definition, economic sanctions are defined as the discontinuation of customary trade and financial relations for foreign and security policy purposes.
These sanctions include comprehensive prohibition of commercial activity like the long-standing US embargo of Cuba, or they may be more targeted, blocking transactions by and with particular businesses, groups or individuals. Economic sanctions include asset freezes, arms embargoes, capital restraints, foreign aid reductions and trade restrictions. Economic sanctions have become a widely used tool in international relations, most recently employed by the US and EU against Russia to influence the Kremlin to stop the war against Ukraine. The sanctions involve restrictions on imports and exports to and from the targeted country. They can include bans on specific goods or services or a complete halt of trade relations. Economic sanctions also target the financial sector of the sanctioned entity, freezing assets, restricting access to international banking systems, or prohibiting transactions with designated individuals or entities. Sanctions also limit or prohibit foreign investment in the targeted country or specific sectors, hindering economic development and growth. Travel bans restrict the movement of targeted individuals, such as government officials or business leaders, by denying them visas or freezing their assets abroad. But when are sanctions used? Sanctions have been used for foreign policy goals, including counter-terrorism, democracy and human rights promotion, conflict resolution, and cybersecurity. The effectiveness of economic sanctions depends on factors such as the targeted entity's resilience, the severity of the measures, international support, and the availability of alternative resources. Economic sanctions can severely disrupt the economy of the targeted country, leading to decreased trade, reduced foreign investment, currency devaluation, inflation, and economic instability. The intended outcome is to coerce the targeted entity to change its behavior or policies. However, economic sanctions can have unintended consequences as well, affecting innocent civilians, neighboring countries, and global markets. Humanitarian concerns arise when sanctions impede access to essential goods and services such as food, medicine, and humanitarian aid. Trusted Bank, SBI, the banker to every Indian. The United States recently claimed that Russia's economy had contracted by 2.1% in 2022 due to the sanctions. Well, that's all we have for you today. For more news and analysis, please log on to business-standard.com. Thank you for watching. For more news, views and updates, subscribe to Business Standard on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast and Spotify. Also follow us on YouTube, Vimeo, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn.